0: From our changing bodies to our relationships to dealing with menopause and ageing at work and in society, my mission is to help you to tap into our collective wisdom so you can emerge more powerful, wiser, not just older, thriving and ready to embrace wholeheartedly the next chapter in your life. Welcome to another episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen, and today we're going to be talking to so- about something and someone that is talking about a subject that is very close to my heart, and that is the area of what's now known more and more as gray area drinking. We're not problem drinkers in terms of an alcoholic in that way, but we are drinking maybe a bit more than we should. Maybe we're not as much in control as we'd like to be. And if you know me, you'll know I'm pretty passionate about women, alcohol, menopause, and sometimes why that mix isn't so great. So I'm delighted to have joined me today, Sarah Rutzbach, all the way from Australia. And she's going to be sharing her story and diving deeper into grey area drinking, of which she's a coach. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me to come and talk to you. It's my pleasure. Sarah, grey area drinking is something we're hearing a lot more about these days.
1: It is. I think it's a term that is, it it was only a matter of time before this had to be talked about in this way, because up until recently, it's been very binary. You're either an alcoholic or you're not. And there was nothing in between. So what grey area drinking is, if you think about a scale of one to 10 of someone's drinking, and one being someone who rarely thinks about drinking, maybe has a glass of wine occasionally at a wedding once a year or something, and then a 10 being someone who is full-on drinking every single day, all day, physically addicted, would need to have some kind of medical assistance to stop drinking, then gray area drinking is really what's in between. So probably I would say a five to eight on that scale. So people who are using alcohol in perhaps a bit of a dysfunctional way, who have started to develop a relationship with alcohol where it could possibly become really sinister if um, if things are not addressed um, at that stage. But very few people know where to turn or who to turn to if they find themselves in that area um, and they don't know, they don't find it that easy to stop because it's actually really difficult to stop drinking in what is a very alcohol centric society.
0: Definitely. And I think alcohol yeah is, is exactly is such a part of our fuel our connection um you know i i look at that and i think oh there's a picture on instagram people enjoying themselves and immediately it has alcohol involved so that always for me is like oh this is the cultural norm but sarah Share your story because I know that you were a gray area drinker and now you've moved to that. But my listeners, I think, would gain so much value from hearing you share that story.
1: Yeah, sure. So I grew up in the UK um, in the mid to late 90s, where it was really coming into that era of women can drink as much as men. We wore it as a badge of honor that we could drink as much down the pub, a pound a pint, all of that at university. Um, I was probably at that stage developed um, quite a thirst for um, for going out, getting drunk, partying with my girlfriends and all the rest of it. And then I moved to London in my early 20s. and I went into um, the world of recruitment, where my job interview was in the pub to see how well I could hold my drink. So then it was full of, you know, if you think the late 1990s, it was all whining and dining over corporate lunches, long lunches, signing the deal. Um, And I was, you know, drinking a lot, partying hard. Um, But at that age, it wasn't affecting me in the way it started to at a later age in terms of I could, you know, still function, get up the next day, go to work, feel a bit rough, but be fine by lunchtime type of thing. Um, and then what happened was we moved to um, Australia when I had just had a baby. Um, and I would say that when we got here, I definitely developed a different relationship with alcohol. And I put that down to a couple of reasons. So I would say that, number one, um, I was quite lonely. Um, I was homesick. For the first time, I was a stay-at-home mum, having had this high-flying career where I'd been director of a a big recruitment firm in the city. And all of a sudden, um, I got pregnant again very quickly. And then I was at home with two very young kids, no real friends in Perth, um, no family in Perth. My husband was out at work all day. And I definitely fed into that whole mummy wine culture of five o'clock, mummy deserves a glass of wine. It's been a hard day. And I was Say at that point, my relationship with alcohol probably became a little bit different i 'd never really although i 'd always been a big drinker i 'd never drunk on my own, so it'd always been something that I did going out with friends and then at that point, alcohol became a bit of a bit of a friend and um, so it was what I would turn to after those days where i mean to be honest with you Clarissa I was bored i 'd had a career i 'd been you know really engaged and excited and everything and then I was at home all day with two really young kids um and I was definitely, you know, drinking more at that point, um, than I had done before. Um, And then I would say that slowly but surely, um, as I got into my 40s, that's when I really started to notice the difference with my drinking. Um, I was, the next day after um, having a big night out, I would start to feel really anxious. I would get really bad paranoia. I was starting to get blackouts where I couldn't remember, um, you know, going to bed or I would go to read my book the, the next night and have flashbacks that maybe I'd read that chapter the night before or maybe I hadn't. I wasn't quite sure door. Um but it would on the outside, it never looked like I had a problem with alcohol. Like I was going to the gym every day. I by this point I had my own business. I was running a family. I was running half marathons. I was doing all of that kind of stuff. But I was also um drinking quite a lot at the same time. Um and the, 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 start of this happened when I actually went to my naturopath because, um, I was experiencing really heavy periods, um, really, you know, quite debilitating periods. And he did my hormone levels and said to me, your yeah, estrogen is so high. It's off the chart. You need to do a liver detox. Um. And I was like, what do you mean I need to do a liver detox? What's my estrogen got to do with liver and alcohol? I just didn't know anything about it. Um, And of course, I kind of dismissed it because I remember clearly he said it to me, it was a week before Christmas. And as someone who's a big drinker, Christmas is my favorite time of the year, especially here in Australia where, you know, you're at the beach all day, it's sunny and all the rest of it. So I kind of Went, yeah, yeah, but no. And I just went about my Christmas with the usual boozing. Um, And then I just remember one day, this was back in 2017, um, I was having a really bad hangover. And I just happened to be scrolling Facebook. um, And I noticed um, someone in my running group had posted that they'd read a book about changing their relationship with alcohol and it had had a real impact on them. So I thought, right, I'm going to read that book and I'm going to see what it's all about. Because I just had this overwhelming feeling that I was not living my life the way that I wanted to, but I didn't know what needed to change. I was not happy. I was feeling really tired, really lethargic. I had this hormone imbalance. I was overweight. Um, I was drinking too much and I knew I was drinking too much, but at the same time, I was drinking the same as most of the people around me. So it didn't look like it was, you know, any, any worse than anybody else's. Um, At one point, I'd gone to my GP in a real mess, really struggling with mental health issues. And at no point did she say to me, how much are you drinking? At no point did that question even come up. Um, She happily wrote me a prescription for antidepressants, um, which now I know was very irresponsible, given the fact that alcohol should not be taken at the same time as antidepressants. Now, I didn't take those tablets because for me, I just knew in my heart that it, I wasn't depressed. I just knew that there was something more going on. So I think that um, I probably had an inkling that it might have been alcohol. So when I came across that lady talking about the book, I read the book and I just decided to stop drinking um, for a little while. I think in my mind I thought I'll do a month's detox um, one month led to two and led to three and I did three months off and I felt amazing. I just felt so good. I had more energy. I was waking up feeling happy. I was, um, I had mental clarity. I had, um, I was sleeping so much better because what I'd got to the point was every time I drank, even if it was just two glasses of wine, I was waking up at 3 a.m. and I couldn't get back to sleep. Um, and that obviously impacts, you know, your mood the next day, it impacts your energy levels, it impacts your food choices, like all of that kind of stuff. Um, And so I did the three months and just felt fantastic. But then it was kind of like, well, what now? Because I can't not drink forever because that's unheard of in a world where my whole <laughs> life revolves around alcohol. Exactly. So how could that ever be an option? So I thought it's fine. I've taken three months off. I clearly don't have a problem. So now I'm going to moderate. The Uh, problem is that that's not a thing. Um, (laughs) Like I thought, I've taken three months, I can do a reset. Now I'll be able to just be one of those people that just has a glass of wine with dinner and that's it once a week. Within a couple of weeks, I was back to drinking the same levels that I had been before.
0: Oh, that's very interesting. That 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 and that is probably something that so many listeners can relate to. They've done Dry July, Sober October, all of those things, and and then suddenly they think and they go back to their and within you know a month or less they're back exactly where they started and and forgotten that feeling of not drinking.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So I was back to drinking where I was before, Um, not not really thinking much about it other than. It never left me the way that I'd felt during that three months off. It was as if I'd been given a glimpse of who Sarah was without alcohol. And I really liked her. And I really liked how she chose to live her life. And her perspective on life was very different. Because as I said, like for me in my 40s, it had never happened before. But in my 40s, I started to suffer really bad anxiety, paranoia, and really low moods after drinking. It wasn't just a physical reaction to feeling hungover. It was really mental as well. Um, and that just lasted. So I had two years of trying to moderate, taking breaks, not being able to stop, um, not, like, not being able to moderate. Um, and then uh, after that, I just drew the line in the sand and said, on this date, I'm going to do a year and I'm going to just take a break for, for a whole year I think in my heart of hearts, I probably knew it would be forever because I was just so sick of being on that roller coaster of trying to moderate, taking breaks, going back to drinking, then drinking more again. And it just got to the point where I was like, I can't carry on living my life like this. It was so exhausting thinking about alcohol all the time and, and feeling like it had this control over me. So April 2019. I had my last drink. um,
0: And then here I am today. Two years on. Yes. Yeah. I think it's your story, you know, resonates with, I'm sure, so many of my listeners. And as I heard you talking there, I was visualizing so many women that I have particularly worked with in high powered jobs around the world and that culture, because it isn't just that you're drinking, it's the culture around you, isn't it?
1: It absolutely is. And and the, so I know, as you now know, I work as a sobriety coach and I help women change their relationship with alcohol. And the main concern that everybody has, and, and my main concern was I'm never going to have fun again without alcohol and I'm scared that I'm not going to have any friends because everybody is going to, like, disown me because I'm not drinking. That's quite um, sad. It is.
0: It is it, but, is. it is, but I think that's about alcohol has become about fitting in with others. And particularly, I mean, you talked about work there. I mean, and I know that from my time in the UK, and I definitely know that from living in Australia, that everything centered around alcohol. And if you were not the person that joined in with Friday after work drinks or after work drinks any, any evening, actually, sometimes, I mean, lunchtime by then, I think is being phased out now in the corporate world, but because of you know, the concerns about drinking during work time, but certainly everything was about connecting over a wine. And then all your friends were about connecting over a wine as well.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of my core values is connection. And, and I've always been someone that loves being around other women and, and has always loved organizing catch ups. I'm just naturally that kind of social person. And so for me, it was well, if I'm not drinking, I'm not, what am I going to do? Because I just had this vision that I would just be sat at home knitting all the time. Not that there's anything wrong with knitting. I actually do a bit of knitting now myself. <laughs> but at the time, I thought, oh, no, that's not the kind of life I want to live. That will be awful. Um, so a lot of the coaching that I do is around helping women change their mindset around that. But also to understand that sobriety is not boring. Sobriety, to me, is absolute freedom.
0: Yeah, I, I can. I mean, I'm not a big drinker, and I never have been. But I, you know, we see you get a clarity of mind that I would think you don't have when you drink. That it it does something to your brain. Drinking, it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And what we now know, and having done so much reading, I've probably read about 30 books on the subject now, is that when we drink alcohol, our brain actually releases a hormone that makes us depressed because our brain doesn't like the, homeo- the the lack of balance that alcohol creates in the brain, which creates a big dopamine surge, which sends those happy hormones, kind of making us go really, really high. So then the brain releases a hormone to bring us down but the problem is that the effect of the alcohol wears off very quickly and then we're left feeling worse than we were before we even had the drink and then we crave the next drink and so that's why if we've had a really big bender and drunk quite a lot the next day not only do we physically feel ill but mentally we can feel really really low because we've just released so much of this hormone that actually makes us feel low.
0: Which when you think in the context of what your doctor did, wow, you know, mm. I and mean in that, mm. you know, to actually depress you further mm. is, is quite frightening. Not, not, yeah. not surprising because antidepressants are yeah. handed out like, like as if they were free to be taken, but oh, yes, it but it is, like- but very frightening that that could be the solution. And of course, that didn't help you to feel better. You're probably seeking that high of you didn't take it. But for those who did, that could even make you want to drink more because you're looking for the high that alcohol brings you.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, it's been, you know, a really interesting journey, but one like so I can happily tell you now that my hormones are completely balanced um, because, you know, I've learned so much now about estrogen and, and why we um, need to look after our liver so much more as we get older um and, and everything else. And but but it's not just the physical impact. Of course, you know, I have lost weight and my skin is better and my eyes are brighter and and all of that. But mentally, for me, the difference that it has made in terms of my sense of well-being, um, how much more positive I am, how much more I live my life kind of in such a different way. Now, I feel like my world has got so much bigger which is ironic because I thought it would become smaller when I stopped drinking. But actually, when you remove alcohol and you remove your need to always be centering everything you do around having a drink, you then open yourself up to so many new things. I've met so many new and interesting people and I've got, I've had so much time. So because I'm not hungover anymore or tired all the time or drinking or thinking about drinking, I had all this time. So I restudied, I've gone back to uni, I've retrained as a health and wellness coach and then as an accredited grey area drinking coach. And this is what happens with so many women in the sober community is when they give up alcohol, they actually just feel like they get this new lease of life. And I work with women. I've had women work with me who are in their late 60s, early 70s. And they just said, Sarah, I feel like you've given me another chance at life.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, that, that just that feedback must be really makes it worthwhile that you went on a journey. But it is a hard journey to being able to help others. And I mean, I think probably what we, what we didn't add was that it's pretty good for your bank balance <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes yeah yeah oh absolutely of course your bank balance and um and and you know your, your the the weight loss as well has been quite a good thing for me
0: <laughs> that you know there are only benefits but let's talk a little bit about you know the fear that you brought up there about people i well, don't know what to do and not fitting in with your friends what impacts can uh sobriety have on your relationships, personal and business, uh, both good and bad?
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting one. Um, I would say that my friendships have definitely changed, but in most cases, I would say for the better. Um, So I would say that I have a depth of friendship that has gone deeper now with a lot of my friends because we're not just spending our time sitting around getting drunk we actually do meaningful things and so my friends will beach out to me and they know that I don't want to just go and sit at someone's house all afternoon drinking so we go and do more fun stuff and we go and and plan activities that are engaging and interesting and we just you know talk on a on a different kind of level I think With regards to relationships, I think it's really hard. Um, My husband and I were both really big drinkers, and that was what we did together. That was kind of our thing. So even when it was just he and I, we always drank together, and and that was um, a bit of a ritual for us. So when I first gave up, that very first time when I told you I gave up for three months, he he didn't. And I remember thinking, this is really interesting because what's going to happen to our marriage if I don't? If I decide to stay off the alcohol and he stays drinking, what's going to happen? And I remember being in a couple of sober Facebook groups and saying to the people, you know, I'm worried about this. And They were saying to me, you, you can't, it's not your decision to decide how anybody else lives their life. You've just got to follow your path and just know that everything you're doing and saying will be having an impact on others around you, whether you realize it or not. And sure enough, um, when I stopped for good, he stopped as well. And that was, I didn't even ask him. Like, he just had seen the positives in me, how much happier I was. Um, and, but, but we've had to work our marriage in a lot of ways because the ritual of he gets home from work and we go and sit in the garden. And he has a beer and I have a wine. We weren't doing that anymore but we didn't replace it with something else. And so we kind of lost a little bit of communication. And so we had to make sure that we were prioritizing time together, that previously we would have spent sitting in the garden drinking. And so now we do other things. So most nights, you know, he'll come home and we go and take the dog for a walk, even if it's for 15 minutes, but just to catch up on each other's day and have that chat and have that moment of connection.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's such a critical thing there because – it is very easy for us to drift apart as couples when one drinks and the other other des- decides to give up. That that if that's the glue, that might have been the glue that held you together, you really do have to work at communicating. I think you have to actually try communication, don't you, Sarah? I mean sometimes you know it's easy you lubricate with a bit of a wine and you have a chit chat, but you have to actually make a completely different effort.
1: Yes. And and it's I think my husband was a bit threatened by me at the beginning because I was trying to have these deep, meaningful conversations about emotions and things. And he's like, oh my God, where's my drunk wife gone? She was the easy one to talk to. Who's this new one that I've got? Um And so I think he probably felt a bit threatened by me. And, and that was when I had to pull back and go, he's not on this journey. I've just got to do this journey myself at the moment and, and see where it leads. And what I've noticed is the women that I work with, is it's so much more than giving up alcohol. And when we actually give up alcohol, the impact that has on so many areas of our life is is just astounding. I see women, they gain confidence. They take up new hobbies because they've got so much more time. They develop a more connection deeper connection to themselves but they also start to discover who the hell they are because when we've been numbing with alcohol for 30 odd years and we've been using that as a crutch for whenever we feel stressed or angry or tired or lonely or upset we've got to actually get used to sitting with our feelings and that's something that not many of us have done before so it's quite a journey let me tell you
0: yeah i can absolutely see that you're we're we're there and i think you know, a lot of women that in the research that I've I've read and and followed some stuff from alcohol drinking groups in the U.S. A lot of us are drinking because we're anxious, because life doesn't feel quite right, and so alcohol's being used as a prop or a way to mask not addressing our feelings, um, and dealing with things that are difficult in our life. So we go take well, I'll take a drink instead. I'll do a bit of catch up with the girls we're not really ready to be vulnerable
1: absolutely and this is the whole irony of the thing is that we think that we're really anxious and need to have wine and but wine is actually making us more anxious and so the cycle continues but the thing that I find most interesting um as part of the one-on-one coaching that I do with women is I do a neurotransmitter quiz to see where they may have deficiencies in things like serotonin and GABA. And GABA is the body's um, neurotransmitter that releases, um, that makes us calm and makes us um, feel less anxious. And I would say 90% of the women I work with are really depleted in GABA. Because not only does alcohol affect the body's way to make GABA, um, it also destroys, you know, a lot of things in the gut, as you will know. And that's where GABA is made. So what I do when I work one-on-one with my clients is it's not just a case of taking out alcohol. It's what are we putting in to give you a toolbox of other coping mechanisms once we've removed alcohol? Because if you've got nothing else, you're not going to be able to do this. You've got to come into this prepared going, okay, when I feel stressed, when I feel angry, when I've had an argument with my husband, when X, Y, and Z has happened, when I would usually reach for a glass of wine for that instant you know, fix to numb or to distract, what have I got in my toolkit that I've got available to me to soothe my nervous system and make me feel less stressed? And so I work with clients one-on-one to build their personal toolkit.
0: Absolutely. And so that doesn't be, then become... Food or something else that, or shopping or something compulsive in the same way as having a drink is without, without making it sound worse than it is. But, but we're then replacing that feeling with something that is in a different way, not very beneficial to our system.
1: Exactly, exactly. And in most cases, um, you know, I work with clients to work out how do we start to boost GABA naturally so that we actually start to lower um, the amount of anxiety that we're feeling. And we do that through supplements, through lifestyle, through food, um, and through starting to add in some of these activities that really soothe the nervous system and make sure that we are less anxious
0: exactly and i i love that i love that approach because that is a much more sustainable approach than just saying we'll give up drinking and and then have some sort of vague purpose in life or something here we've got real tools and i i absolutely love that approach
1: and i think it's just so important and this is you know why i'm so passionate about the work that i do is there are just not enough people out there talking about this at the moment there is very few places particularly in Australia we're really far behind of where you can go to actually get support in that gray area yes you could go to an AA meeting and I think AA is a brilliant brilliant tool for those that need it but what happens if you don't identify as being an alcoholic what if you don't want to stand up in a room and say hi I'm Sarah I'm an alcoholic then what support is
0: available and there's just nothing. I would say that's probably very true in many parts of the world as well. I think a little bit in the US and the UK, that's changing. But here in Sweden, where there's a a really bad drinking culture that's always been here about binge drinking on weekends, I don't think you'd know where to go if you were a great area drinker. I think there wouldn't be anything for them. And I think that would be true in, in many parts of the world. And so where do you turn? An AA. I mean, you're right. AA. My husband's not al- alcoholic. I mean, he would always identify as that. AA has been a lifesaver for him, but that's an that's an illness to drink like that. That that's a mental illness that has its roots in trauma. That this is this is different. I mean, there's trauma involved, maybe, and maybe things that we're not addressing in our lives, but, and we use alcohol. But it's different, and I think it's AA doesn't. You're right. Doesn't work for everyone. And I'm not sure that many of the women I know who drink a lot, really a lot. Or I couldn't ever drink that much. I was a lightweight, <laughs> but I was, I was never that girl. Um, would actually feel comfortable in an AA meeting because it's a very prescriptive, certain, certain way of being.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting, Clarissa, because one of my clients was recently turned away from a private drug and alcohol rehab clinic. Um, she wanted to go there for just day treatment support and they turned her away because she wasn't drinking enough.
0: Oh my goodness. I mean, how can there and be, she- a, how can there be a measure? I mean, it's not, it's mm. about how you feel mm. that I'm quite sure. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And this is what I say all the time is people ask me, but how much were you drinking? Because they want to go, well, you were drinking more than that, than than I am. So therefore you have a problem and I don't. So therefore I can keep drinking. So I never answer that question with a number because actually the number is irrelevant. It's how was alcohol making me feel? And it was starting to take more than it was giving. And I did that evaluation on myself and went, I don't like the person I am when I'm hungover. I don't like the person I am when I'm drunk. I, I'm not the mum I want to be. I'm not the wife I want to be. I'm not, I'm not living my life the way I want to live it. If this is the one thing that I have to do to make all of those other things better, then I will do.
0: Yes. And I think there's this, this obsession about it has to be X units. And of course that comes from all this unit measuring stuff that, that is out there. But, um, it doesn't give you the context around way, what you drink, when you drink, who you drink with. So it becomes like, yes, yeah, so many units. and No one knows what a unit is anyway. And we always drink more, <laughs> usually pouring, you know, 10 times more, four times more into a glass than, than, than would be measured. But But it's also, as you said, it's how it makes you feel, what it's doing in your life. Because if you're not enjoying it, then stop doing it.
1: Yeah. But it's not always as easy as that, is it? Because, you know, you've got all your friends going, oh, come on, just have another one. You're so boring. Let's just, you know, just have another drink. Or you can't imagine how you're going to, you know, if you don't have someone helping you build a toolkit. I didn't even know what a toolkit was when I stopped. I didn't, you know, I had to kind of go and do all this research myself. And so that's why... I'm so passionate about the work I do now is it it takes all that pain away for others. And I can be the person that helps them and gives them all the knowledge and experience that I have, both from my own sobriety journey and the training that I've done and all the reading and research that I've done to build that toolkit to make it easier. Because if it was easy, you would just go, right, I don't want to drink anymore and stop. So why is it that we wake up at three in the morning going, oh, God, I feel terrible. I'm not drinking tonight. And then at five o'clock, we're pouring another drink. Like that, there has to be something going on there that, that, yeah.
0: it, to That's, help us, you know. Yes. And you, you touched a little bit on your health too, not just your weight, but your general health. I mean, is that something you also observe in your clients?
1: Absolutely. I mean, so I do, um, alcohol free challenges, um, once a quarter. And it's always interesting because on day one of the challenge and it's, um, a women's only, um, challenge. So they, we have a private group and, and all the ladies of the challenge, they really support each other. And on day one, they take a selfie of their face. And on the last day, they take a selfie and the difference, Clarissa, in their faces in one month is astounding just the skin the bloating the eyes the brightness like it's just you know that's just goes to show you know how much um alcohol bloats us but also dehydrates us and affects our sleep and, and all the rest of it and so um yeah definitely health is a big thing um I've seen people have their blood pressure um, checked, you know, a month in and be completely different. I've seen people have, you know, all kinds of um, blood tests done that have massively improved when they've decided to remove alcohol.
0: That's phenomenal. and I And I think, you know, we also know that it's not good for our long term health, not just our liver, but as women, the impact on on breast cancer. Um, things like slips and falls we know we 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 have a tendency to crash to the ground more as we get older so alcohol is is something we want to avoid for lots of reasons
1: and it's really interesting actually because for the i read a book recently where the woman has done extensive research into breast cancer and alcohol um and it and it is such a piece of information that is kept deliberately quiet by so many of the alcohol companies. It was really interesting over here, I think two weeks ago in Australia, the ABC News wrote an article, which is one of the most fair articles that I've seen written, um, that basically said alcohol causes one, directly causes one in five cases of breast cancer in Australia. And I reckon that's an underestimate. But even the fact that this is now being talked about is amazing because even two or three years ago, any piece of information that came out like this was completely dumbed down. And the next thing you see was an article going, a glass of red wine a day saves your life and you live 30 years longer and all the rest of it. Whereas now there is so much more information coming out that is saying, you know, alcohol directly causes breast cancer.
0: And I think the that's that's strong, and it's necessary to be said, and I'm so delighted in a culture that is heavily controlled by the alcohol lobby. They are very powerful with saying those things, and that that is just you know for me a heartening that we can begin to see and I have to say that sadly, I have a number of close associates who have been very heavy drinkers, and a number of them are now breast cancer sufferers. And whether there is a causal direct link, that's hard to say. We'd never want to say that to a person, but it it does run through my head. These people, I mean, we talk about lots, being drunk several times a week, drinking heavily amounts, being exactly like you would say a gray area drinker. And then, you know, a few years down the line, that's the same story repeated time after time. And it isn't just, I think, so easily a coincidence.
1: But this is the thing is, you know, I don't want to be coming across in any way that I'm trying to scaremonger or I'm saying alcohol's bad or anything. But I just think that women deserve to know the facts. and We deserve to know that there is a link between alcohol and breast cancer so that we can make an educated decision as to how much we want to drink. And this information has been kept quiet for so long. Oh,
0: yes. Well, and also the recognition that a lot of the advice for alcohol is based on men's studies. And, and last time I looked, we were really the same. We're not small men. We are We're women. We're physiologically different. And, and therefore, our response to alcohol is different. And that, I think, got lost in the in the messages, in the ladder culture, in everything else, that we don't have the, the, the physiological capacity to drink like a man.
1: Yeah, it's not even about body size. It's completely about how our liver works and how our hormones work and how we break down alcohol. Yes.
0: Yes, totally. We are, we are, we are completely different. And so we need to act differently. Sarah, I just love listening to you. And the I mean, the passion, the knowledge is awesome. Can I ask you if someone was on, a, you know, thinking about going on a journey, thinking, well, maybe I'm drinking maybe more than I should, where would you advise they start? So I
1: have probably worked with um, the majority of the women that I have worked with have joined me on one of my alcohol-free challenges and kind of gone from there. It's a brilliant place to start because it is um, a safe community of women in a private group who support and encourage and connect with each other over the course of the month. I share so much information um, and we talk about everything. We talk about managing your relationships, your friendships, sober sex, periods and how they change when we go through, uh, when we stop drinking, nutrition, how to support our liver. We talk about work when you come under pressure from a boss who's saying, come down the pub and have a drink. We talk about triggers, cravings, um, and I get guest experts in to talk about things. So it's a really, really um, low cost way of getting all of my benefits. of of my wisdom and experience having kind of lived in this world for the last well really since April 2017 when my journey first started um and so I my next challenge is to coincide with Dry July over here in Australia so that starts on the 1st of July um if people would rather do something personally then I think um you know, book a call with me and do a one-on-one session um, and I can point you in the direction of some great resources. There's some wonderful books out there. There's some wonderful podcasts that are, you know, really focused on women in sobriety. Um, But I just think that there is nothing quite like the connection that we make when we join a group and we're going through it at the same time because it can feel so lonely when we give up alcohol and our friends are still drinking. Um, And I wouldn't have ever done it if it hadn't been for the sober Facebook groups that I was in um, with the women who were also going through that at the same time. And that's why um, I feel so blessed to have had the opportunity to create these groups and watch the women who have just formed like amazing friendships from all over the world. I've got women in the States, in the UK, in Germany, in New Zealand, in Australia, in South Africa, and they all come together in this community. And, you know, someone will go in and be like, oh my God, I've got a friend's birthday tonight. How am I going to cope without drinking? And literally within seconds, they'll have replies from other women in the group going, take your alcohol-free drink or remember, play it forward, book, book in a massage for tomorrow as your treat for getting through it. And everyone is just so supportive. And that to me is what makes the most, difference um when when experiencing this for the first time so um i think doing the challenge reading some of the amazing books that are out there um and you know just ask yourself the question just really honestly um how is alcohol making me feel and is it starting to take more than it was giving
0: yeah great great question yes does it take more than it's giving and have time to reflect on that i'd say to people listening to this Yeah, Yeah, and I
1: always start my challenge, the day one that we do in the challenge is what's your why? Just get really clear on why you want to do this because if you're not clear on your why, you'll probably stumble at the first Friday night. You've got to get really clear on why you're doing this and for some people it might be their relationship with their kids and they don't you know like i used to rush through bedtime stories because i was so desperate to get back to my wine and now i feel like i'm so fully present with my kids because i'm not beholden to something else that i used to think was was better um but it's not like how could that be better than spending time with my beautiful kids and i just feel like i've got perspective now um and so Get clear on your why. For some, it might be their relationships. It might be their health. It might be wanting to have mental clarity. Um, and I always say to everyone, don't think too long-term because it can be too scary thinking that it's forever. Like That makes us go, whoa, I can't think like that. And I never ask anyone to think like that. I go, let's just do the July challenge. Let's do the 31-day challenge. And then we'll see how we feel towards the end. And I find that, so I did a challenge in January and nearly all the ladies that did it are still off the booze. Um, which is amazing, but that was because, yeah, but it's because they had the support of the group and they were all encouraging each other, but they've just gently, gently been able to open their eyes to what a life without alcohol is like. The way I like to phrase it, Clarissa, is let's imagine that you live until you're 80 and you started drinking when you were 15, which is what age I was when I started drinking. That's 65 years of constantly drinking, And never actually getting to know who you are without alcohol. Whereas just take one year off, take one year out of that 65 years and just see it as an experiment to know who you are without booze. Because I promise you, it could be the greatest gift you ever give yourself. And I didn't know who I was without alcohol because I've never given myself that chance. And I can honestly tell you that I am... Sarah without alcohol is such a happier, happier Sarah than Sarah when she was drinking. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't know that. I didn't no, know it no. because i would never given myself the chance to see it.
0: No, no. That is fabulous. And where can they get in contact with you to do to take part in Dry July Challenge, if that's what someone wants to do?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, head on to my website, which is just slrwellness.com. Um, And all the details are on there. Um, And as soon as they sign up, they get sent an email with um, uh, some books that they might want to look at, some great podcast episodes or anything like that. And then they can go straight into the Facebook community so that they start to get to know the other ladies in the challenge. Um, And then on Instagram and Facebook, my handle is just at SLR Wellness. And then I have a Facebook group, which is a free community of women, um, almost 4,000 women now from all over the world, who um, are all talking and sharing and chatting. And that's called the Women's Wellbeing Collective. And in that group, we talk about, it's not just about alcohol. It's mostly about things to do for women as we age. So most of the women in the group are 40 plus, And we talk about hormones, exercise, diet, relationships, um, menopause, just everything that, that comes up for women um, as we age that we want to be able to ask questions of each other and share our stories.
0: I think that's fabulous. We're going to put those in the show notes so people can connect. And um, since it's uh, dry July pretty, uh, July pretty soon, <laughs> we'll make sure that the women who are interested in this get a chance to jump in and and join. Sarah I want to thank you for coming on the show for sharing your story so honestly and your passion and knowledge in an area that's not talked about enough today
1: yeah no absolutely well thank you so much for having me on because you know you can hear it in my voice I am really passionate about it and I am really passionate about helping women to not feel so alone
0: thank you for listening If you have loved or liked this episode, then I would be deeply grateful if you would head over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating. My mission is to reach as many women as possible, menopausal midlife women who may be feeling alone and asking questions, why do I feel this way? Thriving Through Menopause is all about a community and our collective wisdom. You matter to me. Your feedback, opinions, and stories matter to me. And I would love to hear from you. So drop me an email, clarissa at clarissachristiansen.com. I genuinely want your feedback and your ideas on the topics that you would like to hear more of on this podcast. And if you are a woman who feels that they are struggling alone through menopause and you need more support, pop over to my website, clarissachristiansen.com. You can find free resources, you can book a one-to-one discovery call with me. Let's start conversation. Thank you once again for listening. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash USBP.